It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say Alright, welcome back to the Kick to Kick podcast. Uh, here to do our second part of 1986, Charlie. The winners, the finalists. The finalists, our original format, back into the, the yes. flow of things. Uh, a few things I want to go through before we get into um, the season proper. Go on. Um, Alright, we had a, we had our friend Shags pick us up on a few things that we missed. Love it. Or got wrong. Um, so firstly, Renee... Jeez, we're rusty. Oh, we were, we're real rusty, mate. Real rusty. Um, so firstly, we said Renee Kink had come from gone from Essendon sorry had gone from Collingwood to St Kilda he'd come from Essendon he'd gone to Colling- he'd gone from Collingwood to Essendon in 83 I think yep. and now been with the Bombers for a few seasons now he's gone to St Kilda from yep. Essendon yeah second thing is he also got back to us about the that incident on the airplane between the Bulldogs players yeah 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 it's a good one as well so come it was on. it was Robert Gronerwegen on a flight to Fiji from the end of 85 um, so he'd had a few beers he jumped onto the the PA system of the plane he's gone <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is Captain Groner Wigan speaking. We're currently cruising at 10,000 metres. I uh, hope you're all enjoying the flight because it will be your last. We're going down. Are you kidding? <laughs> That's what he said. That yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Uh, so probably not what you want to say on a flight. No. Um, and I think he, his nickname may have been Captain after that for quite a while. That, see, that's great. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, the things you can't get away with anymore, right? Yeah, no, man. that's probably fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> I love it. Shall we go? Just tell us who's yes. where. Yeah, let's let's just do a quick recap. So, um, from the bottom in the nineteen eighty six season, we had St Kilda taking out the Wooden Spoon with only two wins. Then we had Melbourne, Richmond, and Geelong eleventh, tenth, and ninth, all with seven wins, fifteen losses. Eighth was Footscray, uh, North Melbourne seventh, and Collingwood just missing out in six spot uh, percentage kicking them out of the uh, the final five. Yes. There. Now, before we do go into the top five, we actually forgot to do people born last year, last episode. We did. Yeah. Because yes. uh, one of those is you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you were born in 86. I was. This is, yeah. this is the uh, the final season I did not see being a, being a late uh, December baby. end of the year baby. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, <laughs> it being in, in the, uh, yeah, not... Can't believe we forgot to past. do that. I know. <laughs> I know. Ridiculous. All right. So as we talked about last episode, we're kind of trying to refine things. So as we go through, I'm probably not going to go through as much detail as we have in the past. I no. think we can get bogged down in details a bit too much. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to try and summarize as best we can and pull out the stories we think are interesting, but we're not going to get bugged, bogged down in who beat who too much. No, no. So I'm going to start with Essendon. Let's do it. So let's let's get there. So our first finalists were Essendon with 12 wins, 10 losses and 120 0.3%, captain by Terry Danaher and coach by Kevin Sheedy. Yeah, absolutely. All right, some debutants include Brenton Phillips, David Flood, Paul Hamilton, Dean Bailey, ex-coach of Melbourne. Yes. And Ed Considine. Um, Pre-season, the Bombers were the first team to beat the Sun All-Stars, which was a promotional, you know, best-of team that played a pre-season game. Yeah, okay. Um, also, the Swans paid Essendon $110,000 for the signature of Mervyn Nagel, who moved to the, to the Swans. But other wow. than that, the team wasn't too similar. 
two different from the, the 85 yep. premiership team that, that dominated. And so the first four weeks, things look like, you know, this is just regulation bombers yep. just destroying teams. Just continuing where we left off. They knocked over the Pies by 65 points in round one. Round two, they unfurled the premiership flag with the Cats coming to Windy Hill. And, and boy, was this a, a mauling in the end. So halfway through the third quarter, the Cats led by two points, Charlie. The Dons kicked the next 16 goals uh, to win very comfortably, in Simon Madden's four, including Simon Madden's 400th career goal. Wow. Uh, but this big win, and it's still the biggest win over the Cats they've ever had. Let's just double check what that margin was there. Round two, 97. A 97 point win over the Cats. Biggest win we've ever had over the Cats still to this day. That's 2023. Huge. Um, but it came at a cost with Vanderhaar breaking his ankle. And this is kind of what the story of Essendon's season was. Round three, we beat the Dogs, but Tim Watson did his left knee and he was out for the season. Um, and we just kept losing players. Daisy, uh, Daisy Darren Williams broke his leg yeah, and ruptured his ankle and in round key five. as well, yeah. Yeah. Um, we had a few new players come across from Collingwood as well. So Jeff Raines came from Collingwood as well as Michael Richardson. But in the process, they had to drop premiership players, Peter Bradbury and Stephen Carey. Okay. So mixing with the formula of what's worked and kind of taking these outsiders over trusted players. So not great to do either. No. Um, and then they fell in a real hole mid-season where they lost four in a row and, and six of eight games. And, and, you know, finals was looking maybe out of the question. But then, uh, and they lost at, the fir- lost at Windy Hill for the first time in two years to the Swans, who were just too good. Round 13, they were able to get themselves back together and beat the Cats. They beat the Dogs the next week. Um, they had a big win over the Demons in round 15, Charlie, 122 points. Salmon with eight, Alan Ezo with six. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they lost to the Swans in round 16, and things looked like, you know, the Premiership defence is over. The, the three-peat yeah. dream is, is dead. Because it was a real, it was a real tight struggle for that that final spot. It was, finals, yeah. Um, but then they had this remarkable run following that, where they beat the Blues by twenty five points, the Hawks by eighty seven hey, points, the, yep. the Tigers by t- seventy nine points, was Paul Salmon kicking eleven, and then the Saints. Um, they finished the season with two losses, but they had done just enough to cling to fifth spot in the ladder. There you go. Well, that's good. I mean, that's what you need, right? But you Injury. wouldn't be. You wouldn't be feeling too confident. Although maybe as a supporter, you'd be like, we did it last year. We know how to get it done. Once we get there, it was just a matter of getting there. Yeah. Who knows? Losing the last two games of the season is never a good sign either, though. You don't want to limp into the finals. No, that's very true. Um, So the lead goal kicker down at... Essendon? Down at Essendon, sorry. Clicking things. Down at Essendon this year was uh, Stephen... No, wasn't. Doing this on an iPad <laughs> is not ideal. It was Alan Ezard with 47. Paul Salmon had 46 just behind okay. him. Alan wow, yeah. Uh... Um, and that's surprising considering Salmon played 21 of the games. I suppose Ezard played extra two, but yeah, yeah. surprising, isn't it? It wasn't far off. Let's go. And the best and fairest. And the best and fairest. The Crichton medal winner in 86. I can tell you if you want. No, I've got it right here. It was Glenn Hawker. Glenn Hawker. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> so he took it out. He took it out. Yeah. Yep. They're looking good. Apologies. Uh, so that moves us up to fourth spot where we had Fitzroy. 
with yes. 13 wins, 9 losses, and 100%. So Exactly um, 100%? Exa- well, 100.2. Okay. Sorry, I should say. Um, so, yeah, that's which is surprising considering, you know, four more wins. They obviously got beaten, be- you know, quite soundly a couple of times and had a few close wins, I would imagine. Mm. But we will find out about that in, in a moment after I tell you who... Coached captain and coach. Yep. It was uh, captain was Matt Randell and our coach was David Parkin. Yeah. So Park- missing out on that. Parkin missed out on the other job, didn't he? Well, Parkin and Wall swapped jobs. Yes. Effectively. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Debutants for the Lions include Dwayne Rowe, Mick Gale, Jim Wind, and Chris Stacey. Uh, round one, Fitzroy had broken away to an eight-goal lead over Geelong by late in the first half as Gary Pert and Paul Roos controlled the game in defence and they ended up winning this by 28, which was a great way to celebrate Bernie Quinlan's 350th game. Shh, massive. Um, this was also the last game of rising star Ross Lyon, just a young player we may, we may hear more of in yes. the coaching circles. Um, despite rumours that he'd been paid by Carlton to leave Fitzroy, he in fact had a chronic groin injury that would heal sufficiently for him to return late in 1987. Okay. But there was lots of rumours swirling that he was he's going to stand out for the year so he can go to Carlton the following year, but oh. he, he did not. No, but he just needed the time to rest. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the Lions started pretty strong. They won four of their first five games. Round five had a solid victory over eventual Premier Hawthorne. They opened up a major lead that should have been bigger, if not for poor kicking at goal. And they held off a late Hawks fight back. Um, Richard Osborne kicking three and Gary Pert had 29 disposals. Round nine, they destroyed the Bombers, the reigning premiers, with an amazing final quarter burst of nine goals, including five in the first 10 minutes. Richard Osborne again um, thrilling the crowd with a screamer over Gary Folds. And this, uh, the subsequent goal gave the Lions a 17-point lead. He actually booted four in the last quarter itself. Um they had some pretty easy wins. They beat the Cats fairly easily. Um, they beat the Lions without Quinlan and their two Ruckman. Um, they had a big win in the mud against the Hawks in round 17 where Osborne voted five goals. Uh, debutante Darren Bolden kicked two and had 15 disposals. Round 19, it was an 85-point win over the Saints and Bernie Quinlan kicked goal number 800. Um, round 21, a 35-point win over the Bombers, so the second for the season in what was Paul Rue's 100th game, which got them back into fifth spot with a game to go. And then they beat the Swans in the final round to secure a final spot, finishing in fourth place. Uh, and that was a 10-point win. Yeah. Over the, uh, I think, the second-place Swans. Yeah, so they'd be feeling pretty good. You know, they've beaten a few big names. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. yeah never, never got more than three wins in a row for the season, but never okay. lost more than two in a row. So there you go. So, yeah. Wouldn't... You would be coming into finals being like, yeah, we're, we're feeling okay here. Mm. Absolutely. Yep. Um, so our lead goal kicker down at Fitzroy this year was not Bernie Quinlan. It was Richard Osborne with 62. Doesn't surprise me. Quinlan had 52 for the year. Yep. No? Okay. Well, for a 350-gamer. No. You're getting on. So yeah, you want Exactly. And obviously probably playing that Norm Smith decoy role as well quite a yeah. bit. Well, yeah, maybe. Um, and the Mitchell medal in 86 went to Paul Ruse for the second year in a row. Doesn't surprise me. No. Again, can't, I can't surprise you, Timmy. No. I don't know what's going on. Uh, so let's move up to third spot where we've got those mighty blues with 15 wins, 7 losses and 141.8%. Huge percentage. Uh, captained by Mark Lapua and coached by Robert. Indeed. And I've got some big names here to talk about. Oh, actually, bring four in. players I want you to tell me about. Okay. We've got... 
Peter Kenny, John Doritich, Adrian Gleeson. But the ones I want you to tell me about, Peter Motley, Mill Hannah, Stephen Kernahan, and Craig Bradley. Oh my gosh. How are those for some fruits? Let's talk about this. It's going to be a good time at Carlton. Yeah. For a little while to come. So let's start with Peter Motley, as you said. So son of former Port Adelaide legend Jeff, he made his league debut with Sturt and went on to enjoy a sparkling four-season 92-game Sandville career with um, Sturt before heading east. He won consecutive club best and fairest awards in 84 and 85 and represented South Australia half a dozen times. Uh, and he also achieved All-Australian selection in 85. So And then he moved over to the VFL with Carlton. Mm. So pretty incredible way to start your career before moving over. It is. There's, I mean, if you know the story of Peter Motley, there's some pretty sad stuff coming. So I haven't really mentioned that here. No. We will talk about that later. Yep. Then now let's talk about Mill Hanna. So coming from East Brunswick, uh, he made his debut in 86. Um, the big cranium was especially <laughs> renowned for his speed, ball skill and prodigious kicking ability. Let's yep. talk about Stephen Kernahan now, shall we? Sticks. Sticks. Uh, one of the finest on-field leaders the game has ever seen, as they say. He began his career with Glenelg in 1981, playing 136 games and kicking 290 goals, securing the Best and Fairest Award on three consecutive occasions. Uh, he also topped the Bay's goal-kicking list twice beside putting in best-of-field performance in the 85 grand final victory over North Adelaide. Um, in 83, just before that, he polled 43 votes in the McGarry medal, which was eight more than the eventual winner, Tony Antrobus, who uh, got the medal because Kernahan had been suspended during oh. the season. Uh, and then he crossed over to the Blues for the 86 season. Yeah. The rest is history. Yeah, the rest is history. And then uh, finally, let's talk about Craig Bradley, shall we? Uh, in 98 Sandful games for Port Adelaide, he proved that he was a player of the top echelon, uh, quick both in mind and in body, sublimely skilled and always impeccably fair. There have been few better role models for youngsters aspiring to succeed in sport than Craig Bradley. Yeah. Start in Port Adelaide's grand final defeat of Glenelg in his debut season in 81. He developed a habit of producing his very best football when it mattered most. Mr. September, <laughs> maybe they should call him. He won no fewer than four Foss Williams medals. Well, Bradley's aggregate of 501 senior games at the top level is likely to remain unchallenged for some time. Yeah, well, yeah. Like, if ever. Well, yeah. Because it can, well, I mean, it's not. No one's playing five hundred no, AFL games. But we don't anymore. often talk about how many he played because of the Sandful and then the, yeah, exactly the AFL VFL. Yeah, as we said. Um, so yeah, they've really they've really stolen some talent from South South Australia. In the, yeah, and we haven't even spoken about John Platten yet at uh, Hawthorne. Exactly. So yeah, and then this is part of expansion that happens as well in South South Australia, kind of fuming at this. We'll, yeah, of we course. Talk about that. Um, thank you to AustralianFootball.com, which is where I got those write-ups as yeah. well. Now, round one was a disappointing loss to the Hawks, and to rub Sultan to the wounds, debutante Mill Hanna did his knee in the opening minute and didn't play again for the rest of the year. Oh, yeah. So maybe, that's maybe we should talk more about him next year. Round two would bring up their first win, and they team welcomed Peter Motley to the seniors. Uh, Carlton's big recruit Craig Bradley was in sizzling form. His hard running and clinical use of the football was a sight that would have made many Blues supporters happy. He was a leading midfielder that tore the Tigers to pieces in their five-goal win. Round three in Justin Madden's 100th game, uh, they clicked in top gear against the Saints at Moorabbin. 
They were dominant all over the field. They slammed on 12 goals to two in the third quarter itself. Uh, and ran out 88-point winners. Mark McClure kicking mm. six. Uh, this is Carlton's highest third quarter score in a VFL-AFL match. Uh, they beat the Lions in round four in a battle of the swap to coaches. Hmm. Round five, they followed up a very poor first half against the Bombers where they only kicked two goals to run out 16-point winners. Round seven, they smashed the Pies at Victoria Park in the last Carlton-Collingwood game played at Victoria Park because of a grand rationalisation, obviously. Yep. Um, crowd of 28,000 saw this match. Dominant midfield led by Craig Bradley with 29 disposals. Ken Hunter had 25 disposals and 10 marks. Uh, they beat the Cats at Princess Park. Um, they destroyed the Blues by a hut. Sorry. They are the Blues. They destroyed the Demons in round 10 at the MCG by 116 points. So he's having a big, few big losses. Sticks with five in that game. Um, and Justin Madden dominating around the ground. Uh, Sticks kick six more and a 78-point win over the Roos at Princess Park in round 11. They beat the Tigers in round 13. Round 14 was a domination of the Saints again. Round 16 at the MCG, the Kangaroos started in scintillating fashion, kicking the first three goals against the Blues. But then the crunch in the second quarter came and the Roos had not one player at ground level to match Bernie Evans, Wayne Blackwell, David Glascott and Shane Robertson of the Blues. The Carlton engine room took over, winning by 57 points. Um, this was Bruce Duell's 350th match. However, given changes to how the VFL-AFL recognised state games, um, Duell's 350th was actually recorded a little later. Okay. But this was his actual 350th. So he didn't celebrate it at the time, though. Um, Ken Hunter returned in round 18 for a clash against ladder-leading Sydney. Uh, and he was great in the air, taking kicking five goals, taking 13 marks as the Blues won by 17 points. Round 19 was Bruce Duell's 350th, or that's how it was celebrated. Yeah. And they beat the Magpies... Craig Bradley's five-bounce run along the outer wing, cap- capping off a brilliant long goal. It was capped off by a brilliant long goal. Round 21, highlights galore against the Dogs at match of the day at Waverley. Wayne Johnson played his 150th, Dane Des English his 100th, and Fraser Murphy his 50th. The Blues rattled on six goals in the first quarter, seven in the second, and seven in the third, to lead by 90 points at three-quarter time, oh my God. Uh, before coasting home to a 79-point win. Uh, they had an 86-point win over the Demons in in round 22 and that was kind of the season they didn't lose two games in a row for the whole season and you can see by some of those wins why their percentage was so what was their percentage? 140 yeah, something. yeah. yeah. nice massive uh, their lead goal kicker was of course uh, Sticks with 62 yep um, and the John Nichols medal in 1986 went to it was shared between Craig Bradley and Wayne Johnson for uh, taking out his second for its his Second time. The dominator. Say. Dominator. The dominator. Yeah. It's not bad Craig Bradley taking it out in his first year at, the, at Carlton. Yeah. Don't mind that at all. No. So that takes us up the ladder to second spot where we have Sydney. 16 wins, 6 losses, 118.4%. Uh, this year, uh, captained Real. by Dennis Carroll and coached by Tommy Hafey. Yeah, so Hafey... Bought across from Geelong. We talked about this. Yes. And how he was he was taken and he poached some of the players. Yep. Um, so, debutantes for Sydney were Tony Smith, Gary Bartholomew's... Sorry, Grant Bartholomew's and Robert Caprioli. But they also lured across, you know, Merv Nagel, Jim Edmund, Greg Williams, Dave Bolton, Bernard Tui, um, 
Greg Jared Healy did he join them in eighty? He did. Well, he did, he's there. So yeah, yeah. It's, I don't know if this is the year. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they didn't disappoint. They convincingly won their first six games of the season to sit on top of the ladder, the club's best start for fifty years. Good on them. Since those hate the heyday of the uh, the thirties and forties. That fresh northern air has really given them a lift. Yeah. Um, round six was also the game where Swan Tony Morwood was awarded the free kick for tackling Carlton's Tom Elvin. The disappointing part for Tommy, and this is from a Carlton point of view, was that he was grabbed by his flowing mane and stopped in his tracks when his head was nearly torn off. <laughs> to his disbelief, he was penalised for holding the ball. <laughs> um, round six was a win for Sydney over Carlton as well. Round 13, Tommy Hafey took his team back to Victoria Park. and Things didn't look good. Early in the third term, Collingwood extended its lead to a seemingly impregnable 34-point lead, Charlie. But the Swans hit back with four goals to three in the third term to make the three-quarter margin 18 points. The last quarter was an arm wrestle. When Barry Mitchell was given an an in-the-back free kick 45 minutes out in the dying minutes of the game, the crowd went troppo. (laughs) He kicked the goal. The Swans hung on to win by one point. I think we talked about this where the crowd like then were after blood and tried to get the umpire. Yeah, that's right. We did, yeah. Um, So a very solid season from the Swans on the field. Some, some nice runs of wins that they kept clocking up. Warwick Kappa almost reached 100 goals for the season. Yes. Uh, falling short by just eight. In an early game for... Um, in an early game for them, he kicked 10 goals against the Tigers. In round... Let me start to check what round that was. Round eight, he kicked 10 goals, one against the Tigers. He hit, kicked eight goals, one against the Kangaroos in round one. He kicked six goals against the Cats. He kicked eight goals, three against Essendon in round... 16. So really hitting his straps yeah. were at Kaplan. Getting some bags. Yeah. Um, yeah, amazing. Um, however, Charlie, things on the in- outside look good, but on the inside, Ugh. behind the scenes, it was tumultuous, tumultuous as ever. Yeah, of course. Potential breaches of salary cap had prevented Morris Rioli from coming to the club. And he'd been training with them, I believe, but then oh. wasn't allowed to join. Um Compounding that, on the very evening he had been acquired by the club, Dr. Edelston admitted to Powerplay that he did not have the cash required to fund his purchase of the club. Consequently, further investment was needed and a portion of Powerplay shares were bought by Western Australian company Westec, an entity which also lent the club a million dollars to fund operations. Uh, In July, Geoffrey Edelston resigned as chairman of the Swans um, under a year after his much-fated arrival. And in October, his shares of the club were bought by Powerplay. Yeah, okay. So real, yeah, this whole private ownership thing is not great. We've talked about, I mean, we talked about it when we went through the whole system and how it was done. And I think in hindsight, it's actually a really good thing that that private private ownership did not work. Well, we gave it a go and it didn't work. And, yeah. and now we've, you know, now clubs are owned by the supporters, fans, yeah, by the fans, which is... So much better and so much more important. Oh, I agree, hundred yeah. percent, absolutely. But we've so we've learned that lesson, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is good. And if things had been more straightforward, and the person who bought the club actually had the cash, we might be looking at a whole different model that the AFL is run by now. Yeah, so, it's a really good point. Um, and we know why that they accepted that as the AFL, the VFL accepted it. Like they just wanted the cash. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If they'd done that, like they really should not have accepted that. But no, their due diligence. What due diligence? From, in hindsight, didn't look... That, no, not at all. That diligent, yeah. shall we say, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. 
it's all it's all worked out the right way. Just what Sydney that. absolutely for everyone. Yeah, yeah. Fans uh, are flocking to the SCG. You know, football's doing well there. Yeah. Um, as we said, as you mentioned, obviously Warwick Kappa took out the lead goal kicking at Sydney with ninety two. Uh, goals. Uh, Tony Morewood second with 44. So there was really only one avenue to goal that yeah. year. Yeah. Um, and the Bobby Skilton medal in 1986 went to Jared Healy. It was Jared Healy. Yeah. Great. Um, yeah. And sitting atop of that ladder. Sitting atop the ladder, of course, were the Mighty Hawks with 18 wins, four losses, 141.6%. Dominant stuff yeah. this year. Uh, captained by Michael Tuck and coached by Albert James. Absolutely. So, um, some debutants as well. Chris Whitman, Ray Jenke, but the, another South Australian, Johnny Platten. Let's talk about Johnny Platten. So, coming from Elizabeth in South Australia, he played for his hometown footy club, Central District. Uh, yeah, played for Central District. During the two-decade, 371-game career he had, the Rat proved himself one of the greatest rovers in the history of the game. Rat. Consistently successful, uh, consistently successful across all leagues, he won both the McGarry and Brownlow medal. Uh, the keys to his success were his pace, his ebullience, his sure sure ball handling, effective disposal skill with both hand and foot, and an irrepressible terrier-like ability to gain possession of the ball. <laughs> Abulance? Um, ebullient, yeah. Okay. Oh, ebullient. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, did I not pronounce it no, correctly? I just, My I, apologies. I wasn't listening. This is a good, good write-up, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and his terrier-like ability to gain possession of the ball amidst the heaviest of traffic. Yeah. It's very prosaic, isn't it? it I like is, it. Yeah. I like it a lot. Um, all right, so the Hawks had a, a dominant season, losing only four games, as you said. Round one, Rodney Ede played his 200th game. It was also the start of this intense Carlton-Hawthorne rivalry, which would see the two teams compete in two subsequent grand, grand finals. Yep. In this game, the Hawks putting the Blues on notice. Um, they won by 36 points. John Platten put on a fine display. They went on to beat the Roos by three points, the Tigers by 55. The Saints by only 12 points in round four which you know, should have been more. It was Fitzroy that undid their uh, good work in round five. Round six was a grand final rematch against the Bombers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Hawks stunned the Bombers early. They kicked eight goals four in the first quarter at Waverley to the Bombers four goals one. They kicked another six goals to the Bombers one in the second half. Yeah, okay. So that's a, a halftime dominance where it was 14 goals seven to five goals six and just all over the Bombers. Who yep. They would have been stewing about all season. Like, to come back... The way they capitulated in the grand final to come back and, and, and then reload, ca- yeah, they would have been they would have had this matchup penciled in. Absolutely. Um, so they, they ended up winning that game by twenty four points because they they took their foot off the accelerator in the second, really the last quarter. Yeah, but dominant against the Bombers there, exercising some demons. Uh, they beat the Swans pretty easily. They beat the Magpies at Waverley by forty five in round eight. Um. The Doggies were the ones who got them in round 10. Round 11, they took on the Ds and beat them by 85 points at Princess Park. Um, and we should talk about Jason Dunstall as well. He was one player this season who was really starting to hit his straps. Mm-hmm. Um, he kicked... Well, we, you can talk about that in a minute, but he had some days out and he's in his first season. Yeah. Um, sorry, bear with me. Round 13 was Michael Tuck's 300th game. 
Still tracking along. Just I reckon he's got at least only another, just hitting his straps. He's got at least him. another hundred in him, surely. At least. <laughs> Uh, they smashed the Roos, smashed the Tigers by 101 points at the MCG in round 14. Uh, and just, look, really cruising. There's not too much to say. Round 21, I will also mention, um, they led Geelong by only three points at halftime. Mm-hmm. But then they kicked 25 goals 7 to 3 goals 7 in the wow. second half. That's 157 to 25 in the second half. Hawthorne's final score of 35 goals 15, 225, set a new record as the club's highest score. Oh, my God has since been surpassed, uh, and Geelong's highest score conceded. The margin of 135 points sets and holds the record for Geelong's highest losing margin, and Hawthorne's 25-7-157 sets and holds the high- record for the highest score by a single team in a half of football. Yeah, God, that's huge. Yep, 135 points. <laughs> That'd make you feel pretty confident coming into it. Into finals. Yeah, well, that yeah. was round 21. That was, you know, God. two yeah. weeks to go. Yeah. Huge, yeah. huge. Yeah, well, as you mentioned, uh, Jason Dunstall was really hitting his straps, kicking 77 for the year and, and Hawthorne's leading goal kicker. Um, Gary Buckenara just behind him on 55, Dermy 44, um, and then uh, Curran, Platten and Kennedy in the 30s. So they were really sharing it around and kicking plenty of goals. And the Crimmins medal in 1986 went to uh, Gary Ayres. Nice. Yeah. Um, right, let's get... To, well, Cole's goals. It's no surprise that Hawthorne took that no, out. of course. 395 goals for the season. Had to be. Most goals for any team. Um, the Brownlow medal. <laughs> Tell me about the Brownlow. Which I almost forgot to mention. Uh, 1986 was another drawn Brownlow medal. So the yeah, first one we've okay. had since 1981 when it was a draw between Bernie Quinlan and Barry Round. Yep. Um, it was awarded to Hawthorne's Robert Dippier Domenico and Sydney Swans player Greg Williams. Yeah, both won the medal by polling 17 votes during the season um, in this you know 3-2-1 voting system. Second was Paul Root, who I believe might have been the favourite coming in. Okay. On 16 votes, Glenn Hawker of Essendon was fourth with 15. John Platten, fifth with 14 votes as well. But in his first season, not too shabby. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, so a drawn Brownlow medal, Dipper and Diesel. Not bad. And that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> Well, let's move into talking about finals, finals then, shall we? Yes. So, in our first week of finals, we had, uh, well, Sunday finals, yeah. of course. Uh, we had Fitzroy and Essendon at Waverley on the Saturday, and then Sydney and Carlton at the G on the Sunday. But let's talk about Saturday's match first in front of 59,000 people Um it was an absolute squeaker between Fitzroy and Essendon. Yeah, so um, let's talk about this. So Lions stars, Matt Rendell and Bernie Quinlan, weren't even playing. They were injured on the sidelines. Uh, but from the start, the Lions took the game up to the Bombers. It was nasty and often a spiteful game in the wet. There were head-high tackles late all day. Fists flew as quickly as the ball did. Mm-hmm. Lions coach Parkin later said that he could see in the eyes of the players at three-quarter time that they had an inner confidence and a genuine belief they could win. But he admitted he thought they had t- tr- he admitted they he thought they had fired their last shot in the final term when they hit the lead, then lost it again. Mm-hmm. For most of the afternoon, the two Fitzroy forwards will, they were looking to Richard Osman and Mickey Conlon were blanketed by their opponents. But in the end, it was Conlon who tipped the balance with just his fifth kick of the match to kick a goal with 30 seconds left to play to snatch the win for the Lions by one, one point, a single point in a yeah. classic. 
classic game. Yeah, so that final score, 8-10-58 to Essendon's 8-9-57. And I believe it was one of those goals where it was like it was kind of in the Essendon forward line and then it's just been a kick over and just, and just kind ran. of running onto it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so frustrating, isn't it? As an, as an Essendon supporter, it would yeah. be. Hope of our three-peaters died. Yeah. And so let's talk about that game on the Sunday at the G in front of 66,000 people. Uh, it's a bit of a goal fest. Well, let's talk about it, Charlie, because it should have been at the SCG. Of course it should Second have. place Sydney, finishing higher. Yeah. But Vic, Vic Bias, obviously, nah, let's play it down here at the MCG. Yep. Yep. This, yep. Is the Vic, this is the VFL, not the, uh, not the AFL yet. Jeez. I wonder if I actually don't know if there was conversation about that at all. Maybe it was just accepted that all the finals are played in at the G. Yeah, Shags. If you know anything about that, let us know. <laughs> um, the Blues set up their first finals win since the 1982 Grand Final with a brilliant second term. Uh, so they kicked seven goals to two goals in the second term. It was a five goal one each first quarter, so very even. Uh, Craig Bradley proved outstanding as he clearly outpointed Sydney Gun centerman Greg Williams soon to be uh, later on teammates. <laughs> Six Kernahan was also relishing his finals debut with five goals. Um, interestingly enough, here's a fun stat for you, Charlie. These two teams would not play at the MCG together for another 30 years. Really? Yeah. That is very interesting. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the final margin was 16 points there. Um, really, that second quarter was the, the difference between the two teams. Had it been played in Sydney... Might have, been a, Might have been a different story, exactly. Yeah, so uh, Sydney's 15-14-104, not being able to get over the line to Carlton's 18-12-120. So only one scoring shot, the difference, just a little bit in, more inaccurate. Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd see this. How have they not played at the MCG? It's crazy, isn't Ridiculous. it? Ridiculous. Obviously, lots of games at, so the, at, at the Telstra Dome. So Princess Park, SCG, SCG, Docklands. Yeah. Stadium Australia... The next time they played the MCG was 2017, round six, round six, 2017. That's crazy, isn't it? Isn't it? And then since then they played once, and that was the finals this year. Wow, insane. There we go. So let's talk about the second week of, of finals. There, obviously Essendon are uh, being knocked out. Uh, we had on the Saturday, the 13th of September, 62,000 people at Waverley to watch Hawthorne versus Carlton. Yep, the Blues entered this semi-final against the Hawks, having lost their previous seven encounters, having not beaten them since 1983. The game was close up until three-quarter time, with Carlton maintaining a narrow lead all day, and but for inaccurate kicking, might have had the game sewn up at the last change. A six-goal-to-three final term, though, saw the Blues kick away from the Hawks, running out 28-point winners and gaining a week's break before the grand final. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, very similar, like four goals each, seven goals each, ten goals each. And then it's just that last quarter, a few extra goals has got them over. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Carlton 16-16-112 to Hawthorne's 13-6-84. Um, and then we had on the Sunday, Sydney versus Fitzroy at the G in front of 65,000. So quite even crowds there. <laughs> Again, this game should have been at the SCG. Of course it should. <laughs> the team finishing higher. Yeah. Losing. They Yeah. Um, the line's... So, um, let's have a look at this. Sydney led by 20 points midway through the third quarter and looked. it took a total commitment and courage from the Lions players to boot four goals in the first eight minutes of the final quarter to try to get this game their way. Despite heavy legs, wearied by driving rain again, Leon Harris kicked a spark... Sorry, Leon Harris gave a spark with a goal... 
hooked. Sorry, let me read that again. Hmm. Leo Harris gave a spark with a kick hooked into the goal square, placed perfectly for Richard Osman to soccer through a goal. A minute later, Harris threaded through a snap of his own. For the remaining 23 thumping minutes, Fitzroy held on to the lead. The efforts of midfielders, stoppers, Scott Clayton and Tim Peckin snuffed out stars Greg Williams and Jared Healy and robbed the Swans of that creative drive. The Lions holding on to win by five points. A week after winning by one point. Huge. I'd be spewing if I was Sydney. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, yeah. in hindsight. Yeah. yeah, so 89 to 94 there. Heartstopper. Yeah, absolutely. And Fitzroy have worked their way through to the prelim against Hawthorne, coming off the back of a loss. So in front of 68,000 people at Waverley Park the, the weekend after, Timmy, what happened? Well, Fitzroy started well enough with two snaps by Bernie Quinlan um, and threaded their way, which threaded their way through the big sticks. And Richard Osmond bagged another before the Hawks even crossed the goal line. Mm. Um Fitzroy's quarter-time score of 4-4 to Hawthorne's 5-3 gave the crowd hope that a fairy tale was still in play. Yep, yep. But from that moment on, the Lions were outgunned and outplayed by the merciless Hawks. In the second half, it was almost pitiful to see injured Fitzroy players desperately trying to halt the Hawthorne steamroller. Um, And by the final siren, the Lions had fewer than a dozen fit men. The final margin was 56 points. And really, yeah, after quarter-time, it really wasn't much of a contest, was it? No, they they doubled the score there. So Hawthorne sixteen fourteen one hundred and ten to Fitzroy's seven twelve fifty four. And the sad note to that is this is Fitzroy's last finals game. Yeah, as a club in the VFL AFL. Yeah, that's um disappointing. It is. Um, and that, well, on that sour note, it takes us to the grand final. It does take us to the grand final. Hawthorne Carlton. Hawthorne Carlton. So yeah, as you just said. Uh, of the last, what, seven times they've played, Carlton have only won once, but it was the last time they played. So they'd be coming in feeling like True, they, they knew how to do it. Yep, they finally got over that hump. Still a lot to do. So should we uh, fire out? That's way that back shortly, not, not back, too long ago. Yeah, that machine. not long ago phone. Yeah, let's talk to, uh, let's talk to Michael Tuck. I guess like, we're just really firing up a landline now, aren't we? Yeah. 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 Run at reverse. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Let's talk to Tucky. So, uh, Michael, well done on winning a premiership in your first year as captain. Thanks. Yeah, it's been a great end to a big year for us. Did you expect the Hawks to win so easily today? Oh, no, not at all. However, we were hyped up and confident we played well and got the breaks. That would win us the game. Now, before we get to today's big game, can you tell us how excited you were at the start of the year to be announced as captain? I really didn't think they would ask. I suppose I've been lucky that I've happened to be in the right place at the right time. They probably reckon I was the oldest in the team and must have felt I had a bit left in me. My first reaction was to tell myself that I'd have to perform, that it was no good having the job if I was going to be playing in the seconds. Anyway, they gave me the honour. But there hasn't been a lot to do with the playing strength we have. Being captain, all I have to do is toss the coin, really. Today was your fourth grand final in four years, which is a great effort. How has the team managed to stay so fresh? It's hard to bud players when you're near the top every year, but those we gave opportunities to have become good players for us. Players like young Jason Dunstall has become our new focal point up forward, and we also brought in John Platten from South Australia. We were really quite 
rejuvenated entering 1986 after a kick up the backside in 85. Now, today's premiership must have been as much as a relief as anything else, especially after the last two uh, grand finals before this. The strain on the club has been enormous. I don't know how I would have handled the situation emotionally today if we'd been beaten again. We all work together so much. Alan Jeans has a really good gauge on the players' attitudes and whether they're ready or not, like a good horse trainer. So through him, we trusted that we were ready. I think this gave us confidence to believe that the club would not put in another dismal performance that had occurred the previous season. And how was the training this week? We felt good on the track as a team and our fans are just incredible. On Thursday, they turned up in their thousands. I've never seen a bigger crowd at Glenferry for training. Now, as good as the team were on the track, there were definitely some lingering doubts of you and uh, also backman uh, Gary Ayres for today's game, weren't there? Yeah, Ayres, he had hurt his hammy in the prelim, and I had a few back spasms as well. Yabby was great. He told us to do what we could to get through till Thursday, and then on Friday we'd do a fitness test. And how did that go? We got through the week, then yesterday Yabby drove us to Scotch College, where we both had the fitness test. Ezzy was slightly easier than me. All he had to do was roll the ball along the ground, pick it up and accelerate. Mine was more one-on-one -on -one work. Thankfully, we both got through it. The tactics the Hawks used today were essentially to play the Blues man-on-man. -man. Whichever way they went, we thought it was best to counter them and prevent them from unsettling us. We went for a flexible side and aimed to have an open forward line where our forwards would have plenty of room to lead out. How much planning went into the grand final today at match committee level from people like, you know, Alan Jeans and is it selection chairman Brian Coleman? Hours and hours from what I hear. They've done a slashing job for us. From the Sunday morning after the semi-final, they made a lot of strategies which related to the team. First of all, we had to get past Fitzroy and that wasn't an easy hurdle. Jeansy said to us if we got over Fitzroy that we'd play really well in the grand final. Now, losing that second semi and having to fight your way back to the grand final, uh, do you reckon that could have been like a blessing in disguise? There's no question that we didn't play well in the second semi. On our performances this year, our players seem to thrive on playing football and don't like breaks. Now, you mentioned young Jason Dunstall earlier. He got the first goal today, a fine chess mark and then goal. And that was a real settler for the team, wasn't it? And he was playing on their champion, Bruce Duell. So it was an important win for the young spearhead and a good settling goal. And you guys managed to kick uh, five of the first six. Yeah, it was clear some of the Carlton blokes were rattled, but everything was just going right for us. Dunster was starting to really have an influence on today's game. He kicked his next goal in the second quarter from a, snap, from a clever snap over his shoulder. Another team lifter. I think Gary Bacanara was more excited than anyone. His smile said it all. So, at half-time, we had a margin of 21, uh, not, not, not dominating at all, and Carlton did look uh, better playing 10 minutes of pretty good footy at the end of that second quarter. What was said in the rooms at half-time? We just reiterated the strategies we had spoken about that have, and those that had been working for us. Ezzy needed to keep doing his thing, get Dermot to keep running Dorotich to the wings and keep Swab on Wayne Johnson and not to give him an inch. Tackle, chase and kick straight. So when the Hawks got their first two goals in the third quarter, it was almost all over. Yes, but it was hard to relax even then. 
the way football is played these days, anything can happen. The signs were, however, we were on top in most positions. And including Dunstall, who kicked three of the seven goals for the Hawks. From that point, they were never going to stop us. We led 15 goals to six at the last break. The crowd was strangely silent. I could tell we were home. Now, that last quarter, it really seemed from a spectator's point of view, we just, you were going through the motions. It was one of the longest last quarters I can remember. We had our share of the ball, but we could only kick points. It dragged on and on. We only kicked one, Jason Dunstall's sixth goal, but it was the final nail in the coffin. And that siren wasn't too far off? Yes, and when the siren went, we were on cloud nine. Everyone was just so jubilant. It was fantastic. We had some great battles with Carlton. They're a great side, but we'd proven ourselves to be the best on that day, the day that counted. It was a special feeling, and of all the premiership teams I've been part of, I think today's is the one I might regard with the most affection. And look, next thing you knew, up he went to receive the Premiership Cup from you know, none other than Prime Minister Bob Hawke. Yeah, what a thrill to hold the cup aloft and che- hear the cheers from the team and the fans and everyone who helped us along the way. And Gary Ayres took home the Norm Smith uh, medal today for best on ground. His role in uh, nullifying David Rhys-Jones was absolutely first rate today. Yeah, Yabby told him that it was his job to quieten him down and then if the ball was in attack, he could run grab his opportunities and create a bit of space. Early on there was a bit of toing and froing, but Ayersy was great, really taking one of their biggest match winners out of the game. Who else did you think played well? Gary Buccanara had a great game. Rodney Ede was excellent on Craig Bradley, and we had guys changing on and off the ball in the midfield. I thought we completely outplayed them in the first half, even the first three quarters, and the game was won by then. And what now? Well, as you know, we're known as the family club. So we'll go back and celebrate this win with our family. And personally, Tucky, today was game, I think it was 312. How many more years will we see you running around the park? I don't know, really. But basically, I've got one more year of a contract to go, so I hope I can fill that at Hawthorne. So that's that at the moment. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Uh, well, enjoy that, uh, that uh, captain, premiership captain, Tucky. Thanks, lads. What a good chat that was. Um, some stats from the grand final. So for goals for Hawks, Dunster was six in his first year. Yeah, huge. Um, taking home the Jack Collins medal that we talked about last week. Yeah, yeah. I really just need to... Um, all right, goals for Hawthorne. Um, so Dunster was six, Buccanara four, Brereton three, Ayres one, Curran one, Russo one. For Carlton, it was Meldrum with three, Sticks Kernahan with two, and one each to Glascott, Evans, McKenzie, and Reese Jones. Best for the Hawks, obviously, Gary Ayres, Buccanara, Dunstall, Ed, Langford, Wallace. Yeah. Other results. Did we mention the actual final score of the grand final? I don't think we did. So it was Carlton 9-14-68. 
uh, nowhere near good enough for Hawthorne's 16, 14, 110 in front of 101,861 people. Yeah, solid, solid crowd. Yeah. Other results around the league. Um, we had the reserves game. Carlton winning 146 to Footscray 72. In the under-19s, Collingwood beat North Melbourne 83 to 67 and Carlton taking home the McClellan Trophy. Yes. Which at that time was awarded for the best teams across the reserves, under-19s and seniors. Yep. Um... So I guess that really brings us to wrapping up the, the year, Charlie. Yeah, it certainly does. Um, so, highest score, obviously Hawthorne's highest score, 35-15, 225. Oh, that's big. Um, prem- premiership? Was premiership won by, was won by Hawthorne, of Bra- course. Brownlow medalists? Brownlow, uh, Dipper and Diesel, the fantastic kids program. No, yeah. <laughs> Dipper and Diesel. <laughs> um, the Coleman. The Coleman medal was awarded to BT. Brian Taylor of Collingwood with, with 100 goals exactly. Also, he kicked the most points for the season, 63. Yeah. Um, oh, what else do we usually go through? Uh, well, w- w- the Norm Smith was Gary won Ayers. by Gary yeah, Ayres. Um, I've got I've got to hear the Lee Matthews Trophy. Oh, yes, the Lee Matthews Trophy. Yeah, the yes, Players so MVP. Players MVP, which probably at the time I can't imagine was called the Lee. Lee it was. Matthews. I think they named, he, won it, he was the first to win it, so oh, I think that's why they named it after him. The Lee Matthews Trophy was awarded to Paul Ruse of Fitzroy. Okay. So that might have been why he was favourite for the Brownlow as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want my retrospective Rising Star Award? I would winner? love it. I've got Gary Lyon taking it out, edging out his mate, or his old mate, Bill Brownless and John Blakey. Of course, because... um. The guys who've come over from South Australia are not eligible. Too old. Of course, they're too old. Yeah. yeah. Mark of the Year was awarded to Alan Ezard of Essendon. He took a towering chest mark over Justin Madden. And Goal of the Year was Phil Cracker from North Melbourne. He grabbed the ball on the boundary line and ran around Frank Dunnell before kicking a sensational goal from the boundary with his left foot. Love it. Premiership tallies as of 1986. Something we do. Come on. Carlton was 14, Essendon 14, Collingwood 13, Melbourne 12. That's not moving for a while. No. Richmond 10, Fitzroy 8, Geelong 6, Hawthorne are now on 6. South Melbourne 3, slash Sydney's 3. North Melbourne 2, Footscray 1, St Kilda 1. Um, some retirees leaving us for this season. Bruce Dool, Bernie Quinlan, Barry Rollings. Ricky Barnum of Collingwood, Billy Pickin of Collingwood and St Kilda of, and Sydney, sorry. Greg Phillips of Collingwood. Of course, he's going across back to South Australia, keep playing with Port Adelaide where he'll have a very fruitful career. career. Yes. Um, so I can't really say retired. He's left the VFL. Yeah. Um, Colin Robertson of Hawthorne, Billy Pickin. I said that already. Gubby Allen, Mark Jacko Jackson, unfortunately, we won't see any more of. Mark McClure, Rod Ashman. Renee Kink, Gary Malarkey, and Brian Wood all hanging up the boots or moving to South Australia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah one of the two. <laughs> yeah. uh, and best name. All right, I've got the list in front of me here. Um, let me look through here. There's a few great ones. Stephen Strange, a good bit of alliteration. I was going to say, I th- it's Grant Buffalomuse is good. I mean, Paul Rizanico. Paul Rizaniko, you're, you're naming all the ones that were really standing out to me. I do, I f- feel like I've got to go, oh. Stephen Stretch, the alliteration there, sounds like a Marvel superhero. <laughs> Milhanna's also just great, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, no, I'm going to stick with my first thought and go stick with Stephen Stretch. Stephen Stretch. One of the X-Men. Melbourne Bias? Yeah, maybe. That could be it. 
All right, um, just two shout-outs I want to quickly give. I want to thank Aaron from Useless Football Stats who helped us out with this episode a little bit. There's no such thing as a useless football stat. Let's just say that. Some pretty useful <laughs> on their website, but uh, some very fun ones as well. And I just want to mention Dan Eddy, friend of the show. Um, his book, Brilliance and Brutality, Carlton and Richmond in the 1972-73 Grand Finals, is an excellent read. Um, I really wish we had that book when we'd done those seasons because yeah. there was so much in there. Um, he's really found his niche with those stories he's telling, so I, I look forward to what he, reads and he writes next. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so if you're a fan of those two teams or rivalries, that's a really good one to read. Just... Like we said, the reason we do this is like reading all that stuff from from the past. It just it just gives you more context to love your club and love the game even more. Or so hate other clubs. Yes, yeah. I mean, and that's part of loving yeah, it, right? Course, yeah. yeah. So no, it's it's a good time, and yeah, people out there doing doing that great work and that um all that research and finding the stories that we don't already know is what keeps these rivalries, as you said, alive, which is what we want. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean. From here on, the VFL changes. Yeah. So we've since the nineteen twenty five episode, we've really you know we've stuck to a tried and true formula. Yeah. But eighty seven on, everything changes, Charlie. It gets crazy. It does. Um, I think we're going to try our first, our next two episodes will hopefully be a Brisbane Bears and West Coast Eagles special, and then we'll get stuck into the eighty seven season. Can't wait! How exciting. Mm. And there's a Melbourne Grand Final not far off. Yes, well, less yeah. exciting. <laughs> I mean, but, yeah. it's still great to be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, until 80, not, not until 87, until we next speak, I should say. Mm. Hooroo. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.